Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Bharat Amin. He's the Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Huntington Ingalls Industries, the largest military shipbuilding company in the United States, as well as a provider of professional services to partners in government and industry, with nearly $9.5 billion in annual revenue. Bharat has held his current role for a bit more than two years, and he came to it after serving for nearly five as the Chief Information Officer of one of the company's business units. Bharat, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Glad to be here, Peter. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Cisco, and the company's Chief Information Officer, Jackie Gushalar. As we enter a time of hybrid work environments, Jackie wanted to take a moment to share how companies can stay ahead of this emerging trend and make informed decisions on the future of work. Jackie, over to you. Hi, this is Jackie Guchala, SVP and CIO of Cisco. Today, we're at a unique time in history with the ability to redefine work. Work is no longer where you go, it's what you do and how you do it. And it is powered by the convergence of people, technology and places. It's permanently reshaping expectations of both employees and employers alike. To navigate this changing landscape, Cisco's Hybrid Work Index can help you make informed decisions by providing global insights on people's preferences, habits, and technology use in the era of hybrid work. It's based on millions of global data points and insights to help you win the war for talent, accelerate your innovation, and enhance business safety and security. Search Cisco Hybrid Work Index to learn more. Thanks, Jackie. And now on to our broadcast. Well, Bharat, as I mentioned, you are the chief information officer at the global level of Huntington Ingalls Industries. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are some people who are uh, listening to us now who may be less familiar with the organization. I gave up just the briefest of overviews of it, but I wonder if you could take just a little bit more time in offering a bit of depth into what the organization does, please. Yeah, let, let, let me just tell you a quick story. Before I was offered the position, three months before, I did not know myself who Huntington Ingalls was. So... It's, it's great to know. So let me just give you a short brief about uh, Huntington Ingalls Industries uh, and then give you a little bit of background of our, our three divisions and corporate. So we are now, I know you said shipbuild, largest military shipbuilder, uh, but with an acquisition uh, last year, we are now calling ourselves as a global engineering and defense technologies provider. And of course, like you said, widely known as America's largest military shipbuilder. So that's in, in short, with 135 years of history of trusted partnership in, uh, and, and, and advancing in the U.S. national security, um, HI delivers critical capabilities ranging from the most powerful and resilient maritime platform ever built, uh, like um, aircraft carriers, uh, nuclear power submarines, to unmanned systems and artificial intelligence, machine learning analytics. Um, HI leads the industry in a mission-driven solutions that supports and enables uh, connected, integrated, fully spectrum forces. So like we are supporting, our, our aspiration is to support um, Navy's uh, um, uh, distributed maritime uh, operations. We are headquartered in Newport News, Virginia, uh, and we have a, a 44,000 strong um, uh, employee base. Um, like you said, uh, HII, like you said, not known, uh, we have built 70% uh, of Navy fleet uh, uh, for US Navy. So, you know, that's uh, in itself. Um, 
We have three divisions, Newport New Shipbuilding, which is where I started my first role as a CIO from outside. 25,000 employees, uh, Virginia's largest industrial employer, and we designed and built 30 aircraft carriers and you know, one of the two shipbuilders capable of nuclear-powered submarine design and construction. Ingalls Shipbuilding is about 11,000 employees, largest employer in Mississippi, builds four classes, and uh, that includes also um, uh, U.S. Coast Guard and National Car- uh, Security Cover. And Technology Solutions, um, you know, this is, again, has grown tremendously uh, since uh, last year's acquisition of Align Technology and uh, uh, Science uh, Company. Uh, so we, we serve the national security well beyond shipbuilding in you know, innovative areas ranging from artificial intelligence to unmanned. So we no longer call ourselves just the shipbuilders. Um, we are expanding uh, our advanced technologies to protect, connect, and integrate joint forces. Um, you know, customers extend beyond Navy, including Army, Department of Energy, and more. And we, as I said, we recent acquisition. Now we deliver full spectrum of solutions in AI, ML, cyber, electronic warfare, unmanned, live virtual constructive um, training, advanced modeling and simulation autonomy. Uh, so in, in short, uh, that's what Huntington Ingalls is. That's a great overview. Thank you for that comprehensive uh, uh, overview of, of what the organization does. Uh, talk a bit about, if you wouldn't mind, Bharat, your role as, as chief information officer. What's within your purview? Yeah, so uh, so Peter, uh, my role uh, um, uh, as a, a CIO for HII, um, I'm responsible for companies' IT and digital strategic direction, uh, and started with a strong focus on cybersecurity capabilities. Um, uh, again, uh, uh, as you know, this was a newly created role for HII Enterprise, and appointed by CEO, and I report to him uh, in 2020. And now I'm elected officer um, uh, and I'm elected by the HIR board. So I set uh, the cybersecurity and IT vision, mission values. I mean, just how, you know, from enterprise perspective, because it's a new role. The company, when it divested uh, 10 years ago from Northrop, it's uh, it's spun up into divisions and we ran autonomous divisions. So this is the first time we are trying to bring everything together under an enterprise environment. So defining a strategy, a plan for modern enterprise services. This also includes leading um, our governance and oversight for all our key digital technology partnerships externally and internally. For example, internally, we've had a digital transformation council and I'm one of the co-chair, my, 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 my other co-chair is the COO uh, of the company. Um, we are very few public companies, uh, two years ago when I, my position was stood up, to have a cybersecurity committee at a board level. And we've been running it now for two years. I'm the liaison, the company liaison between the board and HI management. And we've run that for two years now. And I'm now working with the, you know, the CEO, CEO, division presidents, and I've centralized my senior team, which includes uh, CIOs and and assists, so I'll talk more about it. 
Well, that's very interesting. I appreciate that overview as well. To talk a bit more, if you wouldn't, as you just began to allude to it, uh, the structure of your team itself. You mentioned the three divisions of the company. You uh, previously led one of those as the CIO. Um, talk a bit about what is managed centrally at the at the global level and, and what's managed uh, at the at the divisional level of the organization, please, and, and how your team specifically is structured. Absolutely. So, Peter, um, uh, again, uh, you, you know, you all, everybody knows that when you are in a decentralized mode, it's very hard to try and bring. Uh, again, our focus was cybersecurity as a start, but we are also now bringing all infrastructure under central uh, approach. So, what I had to do initially was to work with the division uh, leadership teams uh, and a COO, um, where all the division reports into to think about. How we want to manage going from from cybersecurity perspective, infrastructure perspective, and what we call it, you know, how we support our division, which is our our prime, um, um, you know, uh, importance, right? So uh, currently we have about over 800, I would say, employees with about 350, uh, and uh, and on top of that, about 350 contractors that supports two shipyards, a lot of remote locations uh, uh, from Sierra. From technology services group uh, a division perspective, supporting about 44,000 employees. Overall budget is, I would say, roughly about 400 million. It goes in up and down, depend on investments and um, you know where we are. Today, reporting directly to me, three division CIOs. So you know, I was one of the division CIOs. So I have three division CIOs. I used to have four CISOs, a corporate CISO and a three division CISOs. As of last year, we have centralized that. So I have now one CISO and the division CISOs have taken on enterprise roles and we have one central uh, cybersecurity team. I've created a position of CTO and my enterprise technology services leadership role. And he will be heading all my enterprise technology services infrastructure. And then I have chief of staff also as a program director. So that's my staff. Uh, the accountability for cybersecurity and IT is with me, lies with me. I, you know, I work with the board, the management team in presenting proposals. And, uh, and, and the way we deal with it is, so we've started some, some um, projects, and I'll talk about it in a, in a, in a bit, uh, that's going to be enterprise-wide foundational. Uh, but we are keeping all, I'm going to say, business-driven things at a division level. Because we want to keep uh, everything we support to division to support their mission. We want to cap. So, for example, ERP, um, you know, technical support uh, to the for users and all that is at the divisional level. So, centralization at this point is the, um, the senior leadership team, so we can drive it. Uh, all of enterprise uh, cybersecurity, we are centralizing it. Uh, and we have started this program called Digital Defense Modernization, which again, a uh, year and a half ago, I presented to the board and management our zero trust journey. Uh, so we are on that journey right now. And once we implement the DDM program, we'll be able to take then things that we want to do at enterprise level, the divisions will decide, uh, the CEO will decide and will support. But our goal is, you know, the way I think about it, business technology needs to be very close to where the business is. And business technology to me is delivering solutions, solving their problems, uh, enabling their mission, et cetera, et cetera. 
the IT and the infrastructure kind of things, we want to centralize as much as possible. We don't want to have multiple approaches to the cloud, uh, the backends, and et cetera, et cetera. And then operational technologies will also remain depending on the divisions on what they're trying to address. So, so that's we are in a mixed mode right now. I would say uh, 80, 20 right now, but it will shift over a little bit more towards centralization. I, th I appreciate that. And, and what an interesting is that I want to linger for a, a moment longer on cybersecurity, a topic you've you've mentioned in a couple of your responses for a good reason. Given the business that you're in, obviously security is of of the utmost importance. I can only imagine the complexity of it. Talk a bit about, if you would, especially as a function that you've been standing up and clearly modernizing and, and et cetera, what sort of framework do you use to gauge the effectiveness of the team's efforts? How do you organize that? So before uh, uh, the position was created, again, I think the view was we had a corporate CISO, but the board wanted to have a little bit more in terms of strategy, and how we would mature our cybersecurity across the across the company. And uh, like I said, that's when we stood up a cybersecurity committee at the board level. Um, and you know, a long story, I'm gonna give you a quick short story. I mean, I was kind of almost ready to retire when CEO told me to take on this role uh, and say, hey, Brad, can you, can you, can you serve us to create a, a cyber maturity, security maturity, uh, uh, create an enterprise environment, and I, my first cybersecurity committee meeting was in February, I remember 2020. And I, I told our CEO that I'd already planned to go to um, uh, South America for vineyard tours. Uh, you know, I was retiring, right? So I had to cut short my vineyard tours from Argentina a one day short so I can meet with the cybersecurity committee uh, chairman, uh, who's now board, chairman of the board, uh, to talk about our first cybersecurity committee. So. That was my first uh, foray into how do we run a cybersecurity committee at a board level? You know, when we looked around, uh, looking at the charter and all that, we went to uh, NACD, National Corporate Directors Association. Um, direct, um, there was not too many stuff out there. So we created a charter. We said, here's one of the things that the committee is going to look at. Initially, before my appointment, we were more focused on how are we doing with the vulnerabilities, like operational metrics? And with the committee formation, we focused on in you know, four areas. You know, we're going to talk about strategy and governance. We're going to talk about compliance, operational metrics, and then what are the internal things that we're going to talk about from how we want to run the committee. So my first, um, uh, as I said, um, starting was presented a zero trust architecture to the uh, committee which uh, resoundingly approved it, saying, hey, this, is, this makes sense. And I took committees focus, or you know, we didn't have committee, but boards focus from operational matrix on going, looking at how much vulnerabilities we have, what are the 30 days and a maturity to very strategic focus on how are we gonna implement zero trust architecture? And what does that do for HII going forward? How are we doing with, um, you know, the, you probably know that uh, DOD is uh, implementing this CMMMC, uh, cybersecurity capability maturity um, um, certification for all defense companies. So how are we gonna comply, uh, risk and comply to that? And then when I started, we also implemented this whole phishing simulation that we used to do once a quarter, now it's once a month. We knew that that is one area that um, you know, the attackers, adversaries gonna come after. 
uh, companies like ours. So those kind of things we started doing, uh, we created internal projects. We looked at, um, you know, you know what, what are the programs that we want to have from a threat management perspective, insider threat, ma- insider, uh, threat perspective, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how we build trust with the board committee now um, we just recently in December, uh, last December, we had an external cybersecurity um, uh, um, subject matter expert come present to the board in terms of uh, awareness and training like we do a uh, board training. And when she looked at our program, what we have done for two years, she was amazed that we were probably one of the best in top 10 uh, uh, has implemented cybersecurity processes uh, with the board, with the committee and what we're doing now. I'm not sitting on that laurels. I'm keep pushing our teams to go forward and you know, continue in 2022 with the digital defense modernization implementation. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for that overview. And uh, I know another area that you and the team focus on is digital innovation, uh, Bharat. And I wonder if you could take a moment and provide some examples of what that constitutes within a setting like HII. Yeah, um, so you know, I'll start off with uh, my journey at uh, HII, starting as a CIO at uh, Newport News Shipbuilding seven years ago, uh, started in 2015. And when I started, <coughs> one of the reasons the company went outside to look for a CIO was they wanted to bring in outside in perspective on digital transformation. The company had started working on digital transformation. They wanted to do, um, you know, and I'll talk about this uh, in, in this innovation, it's called Integrated Digital Shipbuilding. It turned into that program, Integrated Digital Shipbuilding Program, which started with grassroots efforts on how do we do digitalization of our shipbuilding processes. And when you talk about those, um, I, that's where my journey started. And, you know, when you talk about innovation, uh, I was amazed when I, you know, the reason why I took the job was I was amazed to see how Newport News was gone into a digital design of a uh, nuclear power aircraft carriers, a complete ship design um, uh, in a digital form, operations of the ship in a digital form, and how are we going to transform the future port class uh, building out of dig- um, uh, aircraft carriers fully digital with a commitment the company made that 8081, um, you know, the CVN81 would be complete digital with no paper drawings. I mean, that's a huge commitment. An example in there is, you know, how do we deliver today when we construct modules and build ships? And I mean, I don't know if you know, Peter, but um, uh, aircraft carriers, you know, you know, we call this 100,000 tons of diplomacy that displaces 100,000 tons of water. It's a floating city. That, that's a, uh, like a floating uh, airport uh, for, for Navy. Uh, carries about 180 aircrafts uh, on it. Um, you, know, you know, 24 stories high, five football fields long, five acres, you know, of, we call it, um, a sovereignty that floats around. And making that ship um, traditionally would be uh, using uh, drawings, everything was drawing. In fact, when we when digitally designed the ship, we would print the drawings and the work would go out. Now they have uh, started implementing, um, you know, visual work instructions. So the planning department creates based on the digital design. They create the work packages that are here. Are the five steps you got to do, and here's how we do it, and here's the digital design. 
and we give them on on a mobile device, and there they go start doing their work. So that's another one example of it. The second example of it is when we construct the ship. You know, a ship delivery happens in compartments, like we deliver compartments to the navy in terms of completion. In traditional way, the compartments used to be delivered based on we would compare the the physical uh, what's built to what the design said, and we compare physically to say. Hey, did we accomplish everything? And now with this uh, augmented reality app that our, our team had developed, we would actually just look around and we'll show it to our Navy customer. Look, here's the design and here's the physical and we map them. And it shows exactly uh, designed to uh, actual build. So that's another example of it. Um, in the third example, I would say is that uh, in um, 2000, I'm going to say 2019, we were the first, Newport News was the first shipyard in the nation to have 5G infrastructure. Because I knew that 5G is going to be very important going forward as we bring more and more digital designs on our shipbuilders in their uh, mobile devices that we would need very high speed in terms of our design. So what, you know, think about the things that we want to do in the future is instead of writing um, you know, it's kind, of, kind of a paper, kind of saying, hey, yeah, I have a problem, send it to engineering. We would do a phone, a phone a friend in engineering and say, here's the problem I have and how can you help me solve it right now? So those are the kind of things we're doing. Another example I would say, uh, we have now gone into additive manufacturing. We printed our first 3D part, a metal part, not plastic, approved by Navy in 2019, and it's being tested on aircraft carrier today. Uh, at Ingalls, uh, we have now brought in uh, IT operations technology, where we've taken designs from our PLM tool, and we are now bringing right into a panel line and doing laser cut instead of, you know, kind of marking the, the panel lines first and then manually cutting it. So these are some examples of digital innovation uh, that, that we had uh, at HII. Great examples, indeed. You also mentioned a little earlier, Bharat, that uh, you oversee technology partnerships. And I'd love to understand a bit more about the ecosystem of technology partners that you've put together and the form that that takes, the, the form that that uh, curation takes as well. Talk a bit about that, if you would. Yeah, so, uh, Peter, I've always believed, um, uh, again, uh, uh, I'll start off with uh, our cultural, uh, when I joined NNS, was we design, build, and do everything ourselves. Again, you know, the platforms we build, nobody else uh, on this planet can build. You know, I'm going to say, at least in the U.S., for, for our Navy customers. Because it's so heavy, uh, intensive, uh, with, um, you know, from asset uh, technology perspective, so hard for uh, time to entry into, into the market. But I believed uh, in um, you know partnering uh, externally, uh, externally and internally, and I'll talk about both. Technology partnerships externally is that we I know that there is no one partner can do it all or ourselves. And I've always believed that uh, if you want to go far, you need to partner with um, uh, others. Um, so um, we have partnered with a lot of technology partners, um, and I, I won't name names, but uh, in a design space, uh, uh, in a execution space, uh, in a um, in, um, uh, uh, manufacturing execution, in a planning space. So we partner with those uh, uh, partners. 
they we co-innovate with them. And sometimes we have now had two partners become a joint with us and create a three-way partnership to co-innovate on where they want to take their product set based on our needs and other others' needs. So we are uh, involved in our customer advisory boards. That's how we provide feedback. So that's how we do externally. Uh, and again, like uh, infrastructure-wise, 5G and others, you know, we partner externally. <coughs> Internally, partnership is with um, our tech, our function. I mean, engineering being our largest function and manufacturing and manufacturing. But internally also, as I mentioned, you know, we now have capabilities uh, on AI, ML, big data platforms. I want to learn with our own, our, our own internally on what they provide to our customers and how we can partner internally to leverage each other's capabilities. So, so that's how I, I think, um, you know, my, my take is on partnership. Without partnership, we would not be moving fast. Uh, and and swiftly. You've already mentioned a number of of important trends, Bharat. You've talked about uh, data analytics, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning. You talked about the uh, sanctity of five G and some of the innovations that you are you are uh, putting in place as a result of that. You talked about zero trust uh, in terms of uh, part of your cybersecurity orientation, just to name a few examples from across this conversation. Uh, are there other uh, trends that particularly excite you that you've not yet mentioned that you'd want to underscore? Absolutely. Um, so uh, uh, again, uh, I'll tell you two stories. Um, uh, one is, um, you know, three years ago when I was at Nippon News, and I always believed in, you know, talent, uh, that you go after talent. Don't try to bring talent where you are, right? So bring work to people, not people to work. In, in our industry, from technology perspective, I wanted to create an environment where I don't care where the talent is, as long as you know we are working together, we are interfacing and, and, and doing what our customer and our divisions want. Um, so I set a goal of 10% remote work. This was like three years ago, four years ago. Uh, it means I would not have an office for a person. They would, I don't care where they are, they have to be, they have to comply with our requirements. Uh, but they could be in any state, could be anywhere. Um, you know, maybe they come in for the first month and then get get educated knowledge and then go back and then work from remotely. And I failed that goal. I achieved only 8%. I kind of took step back and again, I said, okay, you know, we are culturally, we're not ready with it. Uh, considering that we have a lot of management requires visual inspection, visual management kind of thing, which again, doesn't make, make sense in technology environment. But anyway, so I let it go, and then comes COVID. And we were forced to work remotely. And I can say that as, and I'm very proud of my team, that in, in less than 30 days, we went from, you know, complete company remote being 1X to 10X in 30 days. And we supported with our technologies. We had to do a few things, but we worked it. My entire staff, other than uh, operational, some operational, was all remote. And I couldn't believe it. We were doing it. Everything was working. We were doing better. People were happier. Okay, not about COVID, but you know, being able to work remotely, et cetera, et cetera. And as we talked about coming back, uh, our CEO says uh, to all of us, he told us that 
hey, you know, I know we're coming back, but let's just learn from what we learned from COVID and not bring everything back. If you found something new, we need to stick to it and, and stay with it. So one of them was remote work. And now 75% of my staff um, is remote. And we have worked out uh, remote working arrangements where people come and go. But, you know, so what I could not achieve 10%, 75%, we are achieving it. And, you know, as they said, um, necessity is mother of invention. So uh, that's one of, the, one of the things I would say. You know, I talked about AR, VR. Um, I, I'm going to say the future trend is going to be XR and metaverse. And, you know, I mean, people know what's going on, how physical and virtual and all that's going to come together from, um, you know, from work perspective, social perspective, et cetera, et cetera. So, I would say that's going to be a big, big trend. No code revolution is coming. You know, a lot of stuff is happening on integrations and things with uh, uh, low code, no code kind of thing. I think that's going to be big. Uh, I never mentioned about quantum computing and nanotechnologies, but I can see that. That's uh, you know, uh, you know, blessing uh, in a disguise, but also it's going to bring threats. So now I got to think through on how I'm going to manage cybersecurity and encryption and whatnot, but we'll have to deal with that. And I think I mentioned about autonomous, and uh, you know we are doing autonomous today, but that's going to I think it's going to it's going to be huge, huge. Um, um, and last but not least, I would add one, which um, you know the trend I see. You know we talk about IQ, EQ. I think DQ is coming, and DQ is digital intelligence. With all these things happening with um, artificial intelligence, and there's always some things about social, is this right, is it fair, algorithms, et cetera. Uh, and one of the in, in, in digital intelligence is how are we going to deal with social aspects of it, political aspects of it. So I think that's going to play a big role. Well, people are not going to focus on IQ, EQ, but you know, you're going to have to focus on DQ, where digital literacy, uh, in the community, in your workforce, how you govern that, all of that's going to play a big role. Bharat, I mean, thank you so much for a, a very stimulating conversation across a whole range of topics uh, and fascinating to hear more about how each applies to uh, as complex and interesting a business as Huntington Ingalls Industries. I appreciate you taking time and thank you so much for a great conversation. Peter, thank you for giving me an opportunity to share our story. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.